Wednesday, H30. That's March. You know that. I'm Guy Adami, always joined by Dan Nathan for Market Call. In just a few minutes, Carter Braxtonworth, that same Carter that told you to buy Square about 48% ago. Yeah, that one. He'll be joining us. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial and data analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, Open Exchange, Dan because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. My goodness gracious, another interesting day in the market, Stan Nathan. Well, listen, Guy, we've had that huge run. I saw there was a tweet by Ryan Dietrich. He's a strategist over at LPL. He was highlighting the 11% rally in the S&P 500 in 11 trading days, and he went down lower in the tweet and gave a bunch of dates in which the last time we saw that sort of rally over that period of time, and I'm going to go through two of them going backwards. It was the spring of 2020, and then before that, it was like 2011. It was basically all periods where we were coming out of a bear market period, and his point was, I wouldn't be too bearish too quickly on this rally here in the stock market. My only take here, and we talked about this a lot, okay, on the market call of late, is that what's really different this time is that On all those other occasions, the Fed was very accommodative. Rates were at zero. Now they're basically saying something and doing something very different. So I just find that really interesting. Let's bring Carter Braxton worth of worth charting. You know, the man, the myth, the legend. Carter, talk to me about a move so violent in such a short period of time. We all thought, yeah, they probably sold the rumor into the Fed's first rate hike, right? Mid-March in nearly three years. But did you think they were going to buy them this violently in such a short period of time? Well, listen to the statistic you just referred to, X number of days out of X number of days up. We're now working on our third or fourth week. And it really gets down to this. And this is the question you're asking. And and, and sadly, or happily, actually, I don't have the answer. No one does. Is this a rally in a market that it's impaired, right, where there's been a lot of damage done, and a lot of equities are down on a 12-month basis, Russell 2000 index, for instance, among others, or is it somehow we're done, right? The sell-off took care of the matter, the matter being a two-year rally in global equities from the pandemic low that was a bit hot, a bit excessive, and that the sell-off expunged that excess. NASDAQ did drop 22%, S&P 14, and somehow this is the beginning of a new yet new leg and new highs. I'm in the former camp that I just don't think we can sort of get out of the mess that quickly. But, you know, price is wise. The market's gone up every day. And it makes those of us, as I am, who are cautious, look a little bit sort of out of touch. You also have brought up, though, some amazing trading opportunities throughout this. You heard my intro to you, Carter Worth, the one that brought you square 48% ago. And that's the type of market we find ourselves in where you have these mind-numbing rallies. I look at this and with my 48 years now in the business, 49 next week, I say this is your typical textbook bear market face ripping off rallies and things that don't seem to make a lot of sense. Those rallies typically are the most violent, Carter. Well, that's right. It has things that are are a bit suspect. Let's take, for instance, how poorly broker-dealers act. These are sort of, in a way, a leading indicator of sorts. Banks in general are a little bit heavy, but the broker-dealers, they're on the cutting edge. And you look how Morgan Stanley and Goldman, not to mention others, whether it's a Cowan or a Stiefel, all struggling. 
And so then there's, of course, the consumer names, there's restaurants and and a lot of storefronts, they're all under pressure. And it just feels like we're back to a a very defensive tape, which is Apple, Tesla, things like that, sort of holding things up. Well, that's a good point, you know, a defensive equity tape here. And, you know, Amanda put together just a group of headlines about this yield curve inversion, the 210 spread. We know that other parts of the curve had inverted prior to the other day when we saw it in the 210s. But look at some of the headlines here. And, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of investors kind of fall into the trap, they hear these kind of fancy sayings, right, that sound really complicated. And let me tell you something, they're complicated to most just dumb stock and, and option jockeys like me in a way. But, you know, I guess the point is, is like, is the bond market really flashing a warning sign, you know? And so I, I guess the point is, is like, if the market were to have a recession, guy, you talk about this, or excuse me, the economy were to have a recession, okay? Now, every recession over the last 50 years or something, I guess it was preceded by a yield curve inversion, but it doesn't exactly mean that you're going to have a crash in the stock market or a material correction. And so, Guy, talk to us a little bit about all of these headlines. Are they confusing investors a little bit? And is it different this time? And we do have a chart of the 210 spread, and you see this overlaid versus so many other things, and we've done it ourselves, and people trying to make sense of it and what it might mean for stocks. Well, it does matter. And Jeff Gunlock says, don't listen to the people that say it doesn't matter. And I know that's different this time. And who knows? Maybe it is. Maybe, you know, I missed that day in economics. But look at the twos, tens. Why is it inverting is the question you have to ask yourself. It's inverting because inflation's out of control. I think we all listen. Don't listen to me. Listen to some of these Fed officials talk about it. And that's why you see the front end of the curve going from 25 basis points at one point last year to current levels now. That's a pretty historic move. Back end of the curve, yes, moving higher, but not nearly as dramatically. And that's the inversion. What does it mean? It means inflation's a problem. And on the back end, it means the economy's not going to grow nearly as robustly as everybody thinks. That's problematic. That's why it's inverting. So the reason for the inversion matters. And what that means for the stock market I think I know, but yeah. I'll tell you for the last two weeks, clearly it's trying to tell a much different narrative. Here. So Carter, you know, this is the, the point of the show, a market call where I get Guy Adami all tuned up because I'm going to ask you a question here. Let's look at this S&P 500 chart from our friends at FactSet here. And, you know, we just drew a line, Amanda drew a line, 4,600. You see where it is, you know, sure. the 200 day, the 150 day, whatever. We're a little above it here. You know, we climbed a wall of worry. That's oh. the bit. Oh, there you go. There you go. But, well, you know, what do you do, right? Because what? that 4,600 looked like a level where we topped out in February. We might have seen some resistance. We had that really nice up day above it. And you draw whatever lines you want. What do we do with this? The yeah, S&P. What? What do we do? Exactly. I mean, sometimes some of the even remember the market wizards wait for clearly defined opportunities. And this is not a clearly defined opportunity. Yeah. We do know this, that the S&P opened so strongly yesterday, and you can see it actually in this chart, that there was a gap. This is the only unfilled gap in the past 12 months, essentially. At a minimum, I would think you fill that gap, fall back to actually where the line that Amanda drew, right to that level. The ultimate question remains, is this somehow we're out of the woods. It's a sloppy pattern. And so it lends itself or doesn't lend itself to analysis or sloppy conclusions. Yeah, it could keep going. Yeah, it rolls over here. And if anyone tells you, look, I'm going to say it this way. This is as candid as I can be. I think I'm as qualified as anyone on the planet to make a judgment of this. And I don't have a clue. Yeah, that's so fair. That's the problem, listen, right? No, it is a problem. And, you know, as they say, Dan brought up the wall worry thing. It makes me crazy. 
But for those of you out there that have summited Everest, you know that getting to the top is only one portion. You got to get back down as well. They're not picking you up in a helicopter. So this story ain't over yet, number one. Number two, Eddie Trevino's asking, what book behind me do I recommend? I'll tell you right now, Junior, Hockey Stars of 1974. I think Brad Park and Bobby Orr on the cover, too. Number three, we got to look at the NDX chart because, you know, similar story. I would submit, though, this one, Carter... Looks a little more bearish to me. Again, we failed to make new highs back in December like the S&P did. Traded down through the 200-day in a violent manner. Came back touching it now. I think this thing rolls over. And oh, by the way, which I'd love to say for you playing a market called bingo out there, this 200-day moving average is flattening out and apparently rolling over. Thoughts? Well, just as you characterize it. So for starters, the sequencing is a bit different than the S&P. As you say, it couldn't make the new high in January above its sort of November high, where the S&P did. And then the reciprocal, it did make a slight new low in March, where the S&P didn't. So it, it has weakness that foreshadows something early on, couldn't make a new high, S&P did, in the November-January period, makes a new incremental low, S&P didn't. And then, of course, it has the precondition of it was much stronger all along. So the two-year run-up, led to a much more severe decline, i.e. the sell-off in the S&P from Jan 4th high to the March low was 13.4%. In the NASDAQ 100, it was 2022. And so now a rally to an incredibly difficult level where overhead supply comes into play. Yeah. You know, Carter, you said something just a couple of minutes ago about the defensive nature of those largest tech names. And that obviously, you know, the top five or six make up nearly half the weight of the NASDAQ 100 here. And so what I find really interesting is that in Q1 of 2021, when we saw rates going higher, you know, we saw those big cap tech names really underperform at that time. And now they really seem to be part of a recession playbook. If we're going to tie some of this together, if the yield inverted yield curve is telling us that we might have a recession sooner than a lot of people thought. It's just interesting that a lot of investors are now crowding into those really defensive names. And we know why, right? The balance sheets, the modes, the monopolies, the managements, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, so that's going on there. But let's talk semis for a second here, because, you know, I think a lot of people think semis to be a lot more cyclical for a lot of obvious reasons. If you go back over the last 25 years, when we've seen this massive tech implosion, they seem to be a bit more sensitive to cyclicality. But I think one of the really bull cases for semis right now is that as they push into software, as they push into some of these newfangled sort of things like AI, I think they're going to be smoothed out a great deal. They're going to have less cyclicality. There's greater demand across a lot of different products. You see that move that we had lower from the highs, you know, very early this year, late last year. And that was a heck of the move in the SMH. A lot of that had to do with NVIDIA correcting and Taiwan Semi, which are two of the largest components. Well, here we are. It held that uptrend like a boss, as my friend Guy likes to say here. It hasn't quite gotten back to that prior support Carter, what do you think of the semis here? It looks like it's setting up for a great retest on the short side, or at least to put a little out here. Yes. I mean, as drawn, right? And the, and the drawing is right because the, the trend is what it is. The line depicts the trend, the break below the trend, and the counter trend move back to, but not quite, the underbelly of the trend line would at a minimum suggest that you know, you'll struggle if and as we work a little higher towards the, the upward sloping green trend line. I guess the the issue here is, and you see this, they're all the same thing. It's just shades 
and variations of the same thing, S&P, NASDAQ 100, semis. They all have their peaks in a general period. They all have intermediate lows of the past two to four weeks, depending on which aggregate, and they've all bounced. And so to some extent, it's going to be one for all, all for one. They're, they're all going to kind of survive this and keep going or not together. The one thing about the aggregate here, of course, is it's so weighted to just a few names, and they're ones that are great, and they're ones that are struggling. Last night on CNBC's Fast Money, a show that you appear on often. And by the way, did I mention you nailed that square call? I think I did now three times. Let's take a look at Micron because we have these major double tops in MU, as you can see right there from last March. And then again, a few months ago, sold off in a meaningful way. And now here we are bouncing. What I'll say about Micron is this. I thought the quarter was really good. I thought margins were fantastic. And I thought the guide was good. Right now, as we sit here at 1.14 Central Eastern Time, stocks already traded 45 million shares. That's two times normal volume. Leads me to believe we're going to trade three times. You might make an argument that those double tops are going to hold up. This is going to be a bit of a blow off here, and we're going to go right back down to that horizontal line. Thoughts here, Mike Run? More of a pair of twos than anything else here and now. <laughs> you have intraday action that's generally sloppy, right? A strong open, a gap trading very well, trading very well after the earnings results last night, and then slipping, fading. The main thing, though, is that it's still an important day to the upside, albeit now a feeble one. And I think it sort of secures those lows of just five, eight sessions ago, and then leaves the stock, which is not particularly insightful, just back in the middle of the range, which is to say there's nothing to be done. What is important about this range and it's, it's the most important thing. This range, essentially, that it's been in for 12 months is exactly its dot-com peak 22 yeah. years ago. And so the question, ultimately, does Micron finally make a new high from where it was two years ago? Yeah. I, and, and Carter, I would say not anytime soon because, you know, I know you don't care much about the fundamentals. Guy laid it out. That was about as good as quarter and guide and that margin upside that you could kind of ask for in an environment where visibility seems very poor. And as we were talking about it last night, my view very simply was you better hope it catches some steam because it was only up about 4% at the time. And not that after hours price action matters so much, but we know that if you have like a kind of muted reaction to really good news, when the real money comes in, they're likely to do the opposite. That's just my experience. And I'll just say this is that, you know, my comment last night was also this bill on what NVIDIA had to say last week at their analyst day. And that stock has been in a rip-roaring rally off of its lows from earlier in the month. It's up by, I think, 35 36% or so. And that thing doesn't look particularly great near term. And so when I think about something like a setup like that, it's like, all right, so the stock turned. It had that big sell-off over the prior couple months. It turned. It was confirmed by good fundamental news. You know, you know what I mean? And now, you know, maybe you look to put some of that out. But here's the big one. And this is one where we got to broaden this out to a kind of geopolitical sort of situation. Look at Taiwan Semi. And, you know, this was one where they started the year out, made a new all-time high. Now, guy would tell you that looks like an epic double top right here. They announced huge CapEx plans. And it was just like, it looked like it, it was ready to party, break out. Look at that sell-off from about 145 or so. It got below 100 here. It really can't get going for all intents and purposes. I see, you know, if it were to kind of get going, there's a gap to be filled. You see that 200-day up there near one. 
17. Carter, what's your take on something like this? You just called Micron a pair of twos. This one seems like you kind of fade this move. If you can't get into that it's gap, worse. you fade it and it's going to 80. Sure. This is worse, right? I mean, what just most notably, you have bearish price volume correlation, volume not depicted in this chart, but that, that gap there, which you see sort of three weeks ago, is to the downside. Micron is the exact opposite. It's a gap to the upside two weeks ago and another gap today, albeit now a feeble one. And so uh, there's a pair right there. I'd rather be long Micron and short TSM. It's worth noting, of course, when we look at some of these ETFs like the SMH, right, the Van Eck ETF for semis, you've got, of course, 20%. It's 20, 30, 40 names, but Taiwan Semi and NVIDIA are, are 20% of the whole thing. And so it always begs the question, when you look at aggregates, you have to know what you're looking at. Of course, the worst hand you can be dealt in the game we're talking about is 2-7 offsuit. And I could explain to you why that is, but I will refrain. What you brought with us, Carter, is not 2-7 offsuit. You brought with us growth versus value, and you're breaking it down here on Market Call. Yes, let's, let's look at this. So this is a ratio, right? You can do anything divided by anything, and then you get a, a simple ratio chart. And it's not about the level. It's about the direction of the line. If the line is rising, the thing on top is outperforming the thing on bottom and vice versa. So this is the ratio chart, a relative strength line of the Russell 2000 value index, its relative performance to the growth index. And what do we see here? We see, of course, that value at the dot comes see on the bottom of the chart, that's March of 2000, values underperforming growth. And then, of course, it flips, right? The line starts going straight up which of course growth collapses. And so the ratio chart value starts outperforming, even though it wasn't doing that well, absolute. So if you were to draw lines on this, look at the next chart. This is what my eye sees. I see a downtrend and I see a rally, a big one, i.e. value has been outperforming growth to the penny, to the downtrend line. My hunch is to fade it here, to bet on growth over value, or said differently, that value's incredible outperformance of growth over the past seven, eight, 10 months is likely to abate. So let if me you ask you this, an ETF to do quick. this trade, the next chart is the, oh, the actual sorry. ETFs that depict this. This is, of course, the iShares. It's IWM captures value and IWO captures growth. And it's the same chart, but these are tradable instruments. And as a pair, I think you fade this move in value vis-a-vis growth. What I was going to say was an extraordinarily powerful chart because this is a 20-year downtrend line that you just illustrated in both these last two charts. My question to you would be this, if you can extrapolate, does that mean if growth is going to start to outperform, is that bullish for the broader market or does no meaning whatsoever? Well, at the small cap level, less important for the market because we know that the entire market cap of the Russell 2000 itself, all value and all growth, only adds up to the top four or five stocks in the S&P. But if growth is outperforming value at the Russell 1000 level or the S&P, just because of the weightings, it by definition means that the market's okay. Yeah. All right. So, you know, let's talk about what might be okay in a continued volatile period. We talked about some safety before. 
you know, listen, a lot of people think that generally we see healthcare, we see pharma stocks as sort of defensive here. You want to talk about Johnson & Johnson a little bit, because that's a bit of a hybrid. It's a bit of a consumer. It's a bit of a healthcare. It's a bit of a pharma here. What, what's your take on Johnson & Johnson right here? As we used to call it, guy, Johnny John. Johnny John. And it's height, one of the great performers of all time. Obviously, a Dow Jones constituent, been around 200 years. And there's this. You know what its beta is? It's 0.65. That is lower than Coke or Pepsi or General Mills. It is just a very steady player. And actually, what you see here is it's been steadily underperforming for a long time. This is a ratio chart. We're looking at Johnson Johnson's relative performance to the S&P 500 healthcare sector. Essentially, it's at 30-year lows. Mm -hmm. So the great Johnny John, underperform maybe because UNH is so good or ISRG, you know, robots in the operating room. doesn't matter what it is. The ratio chart is horrendous, but is it so bad it's good? Look at the next one. This is the here and now. now this is the same thing, but guess what's happening? It's starting to turn. So we're at 30-year relative lows to the sector, a big healthcare stock underperforming its group, its peers, its sector, but it's performance is now starting to turn. Look at that line. There's no drawings on there. Let's put some on. Look at the next chart. It's a downtrend. And now we're not in a downtrend. We've reversed what I would characterize as a bearish to bullish reversal. Look at the next chart, the annotations. Is that a rounding bottom? doesn't matter what you call it. It has all the elements of something that was bad, that is improving and getting better. Final chart, put them together. One, long-term underperformer. We saw that before. Two, the day-to-day is starting to transition. I like it, John and John. Now, absolute charts. Here we go, one of two. So the next chart is J&J on its own. And then put in some lines. Final chart. Play for the breakout? I think so. You are amazing. By the way, for you fans out there, Day After Day by Badfinger, great 1970s song. It's on my Spotify playlist, Carter. I know you could care less. That's true. Uh, that's, that's, you know, right. that's, you know, that's why we do these things. Listen, that's why we do these things. There's something to look at here in the commodity world because the commodity worlds have gone nuts, not only over the last six months, specifically over the last month, month and a half. A lot of weird things going on. Newmont Mining, I think it's going higher. I think it's going higher because, again, a levered gold play, and I think gold's going higher. I look at this chart and say, you know, we seem to be leveling off, getting ready for the next leg higher. What say you, Carter Braxton Worth? I think we can show some lines that depict just that, leveling off, preparing to go higher. So no lines on this one. Look at the next chart. This is one way to draw the lines. Just that. A big move, a pullback, and now a reassertion of strength back to the highs of just two weeks ago. Key is this. Gold is down from two weeks ago, but the miners, and Newman in particular, are back to their highs. So keep this same drawing, and let's pull back the time frame. Not a six-month chart, but a one-year so here's the same chart. And now one way to draw the lines, look at the next chart. Take away that annotation and put in that. Let's toggle back and forth, those two. That versus that. The key is we broke to a new high and now we're backing and filling at the high. And the final chart, look at that. Very optically clear, rounding bottom, saucer, bearish to bullish reversal. Let's get in motion alongside if you're not already. Newmont, buy it. By the way, I will tell you that somebody out there right now is screaming bingo because they needed you to say toggle and you did it at 125 mark. A lot of winners out there, Carter Braxtonworth. Dan, I know you have different views here in the commodity world. What do you look at this though? Charts uh, don't lie. The charts uh, don't know, lie. 
Can I tell you something? So here's a little, this is worth a conversation here. Okay. I don't have different views in the commodity world from a fundamental standpoint. And, you know, so when I look at Carter kind of lay out the technical setup for something like this, I see what he sees and it makes perfect sense. And I guess where Carter would tell us where we might get trucked up here and there is just stick to, so stick to some of these technicals, stick to the relative strength, stick to some of the stuff, because the fundamental stuff is the stuff that really does change day to day. You know, last night, going back to the Micron example, that's, sounded like a really good fundamental setup. The technical setup looks really bad right now. I think, Carter, the term you used was sloppy in a way. And, and one of the things that I tend to lean on, people always ask me, how do I come up with trade ideas? It's usually something fundamental. It's usually a sort of catalyst. But I'll always, one of the first things that I do after that is look at the technical setup, look at the relative strength within its space to the broad market. So I love Carter's charting here. And even if I hated the underlying, even if this is like a tobacco stock and I hated that, you know, I'd look at this and say, that's viable. Well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you one other thing, Carter, because now I'm going to say slide it, Earl, for you folks playing the guy Adami. Oh, yes. Look at this one. Oh, look sorry. This, I missed that. Oh, this one. You know, that's right. I, I think I'd even forgotten there was more here. I mean, <laughs> I have fun drawing these lines. That, that's right. Now, look at this one. And there it puts it that the current circumstance in the context of past price. And then I think I've got two Slide more. It if again, I remember. Earl. The final Slide two. it again. This is really good. All right. Now, now, look at this. Hold on. So this is all data. 1980. Hmm. Gold is... All-time highs, right? Hunt Brothers try to corner the, you know, the s- silver market in 1780. And, and gold goes and on new on anyway. Now on. look at the last chart. Yeah. Last one. And here it is to the penny. We are right at a former all-time high. Could it end up putting in a massive double top? Okay. My judgment's otherwise. Let's see. The key is this. If you get a steep move to a former high, you stick and you get stuck and often you back away. But we've been consolidating here for the better part of two, three years. Carter, that's a better approach. And often that's the setup for a breakout. Tell us a little bit about the measured move stuff. And I know that's something that people talk about. So you have this really long-term chart, obviously going back to 1980, and we see the range. It's basically from like, I don't know, call it where we bottomed out, maybe in the $10, $10 range-ish or something like that. So here we are at 80 bucks, what would you say, like, how would you devise a measured move for a long-term chart like this? Right. What's incredible to say it. And of course it defies, well, the imagination, but I mean, a measured move, if you accept those lows to be 10 and you accept these highs to be essentially 80, right. You're talking about the width of the range being 70, you add 70 on to 80. And so that's 150 bucks. Wait, so wait, the headline of market call today is Carter Braxton puts $150 right. so target, 40-year price target. The point is, 40? That, that's, that's tomorrow's lunch. Let's try to catch it for the breakout. Go back to, <laughs> let's go back to the original chart. Just toggle back to the actual here and now chart. Let's play it for the breakout and see if we can Fair make enough. some money. We'll worry about the long term later, but it's important to know where you are at all times relative to where you've been. Well, in the 1980s, Carter, I know you're a fan of this artist, Chris DeBerg, sang a song, <laughs> Lady in Red. And you're yes. rocking that red shirt today, my oh, man. Oh, yeah, I got so my red shirt. I just yeah. want to say thank you for that. That's my daughter calling me on FaceTime. That's what happens on live television. Wills. Number two. Number three, thanks for joining us. And we got a question from one of the audience members. What do you think of Tellurian? I know you're asking that because you heard us talking about that stock on CNBC's Fast Money a few months ago when I had a three-handle, look at it now, north of five, just putting it out there because we do answer questions here on Market Call as well. 
That's it. 130. We're going to 5,000, Dan Nathan. And that was today's market call. I hope all you bingo participants enjoyed it. I know I did. I want to thank Carter Worth because he's a stud. He's just good looking in red. And I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet and Open Exchange. Now, tomorrow, Dan's going to be back with EY from SoFi. He won't say that. So if you're playing bingo, get another card. 1 p.m. Eastern. Later. Later. Thanks. Bye.